This is episode 26 with Donaga Markigard on Ancestral Health Radio. Learn to align your genetic makeup for peak health, fitness, and longevity with actionable how-to advice from today's leaders in nutrition, movement, and lifestyle. Join me, your host, James Kevin Broderick, as we bridge the divide between modern technology and our inherent ancestral wisdom. Let's take a walk on the wild side. Can agriculture be a sustainable path forward? This is the main question surrounding today's episode. Can we use the same technology that, arguably, has been one of the single most destructive advents in the epoch of human history to move or usher us forward into a time where we're projected to hit an all-time population density of 9.5 billion people by 2050? And with global desertification, warming oceans, shrinking ice sheets, glacial retreats, decreased snow cover, rising sea levels, declining Arctic sea ice, ocean acidification, and extreme weather events, what tools do we have at our disposal? And how can we make an impact where it seems like none can be made? Well, that's what we're here to find out. And why, in today's episode, my guest Donaga Markigard shares with us her amazing story of triumph as a child being taught traditional ecological knowledge through an experimental wilderness school in the Pacific Northwest, what holistic planned grazing is and what that means for the future of agriculture. Donaga also dispels the jargon around grass-fed, finished, pastured, and free-range, and so much more, guys, so much more. Donaga Markigard has a background in wildlife tracking, holistic management, and permaculture. Along with her husband, Eric, and four children, Donaga lives on a coastal ranch in San Gregorio, California. Donaga is passionate about finding ways to regenerate lands and community through practices that build soil, sequester carbon, capture and purify water, and enhance habitat. Donaga has an immense passion for the natural world and helping others live a life of balance with the earth and all living things, leading a life of example where her own actions are deliberated into the health of the future generations. Wow, I couldn't be more happy to have Donna gone. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited. And especially because you're a local, you're, you're uh, in my neck of the woods here in the Bay. Yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful place to, to be able to ranch 365 days a year and a lot of times in a t-shirt not very many ranchers uh, have that uh, have that ability to um to have such a uh, great climate and uh some some of the most uh biodiverse grasses uh grasslands in the nation so we're we're happy to be yeah. yeah, same here. I'm I'm truly blessed, definitely. I'm I'm very pleased with the move that I did a little over a year ago to be here and to have the opportunity to speak with you today. I'm thinking maybe we could just open this up as I typically do with a little bit of your background. Tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are today. Yeah, great. So, uh I have a background in wildlife tracking and permaculture. So, uh from a, a pretty young age, I uh, was understood that there was more than uh, a typical uh, modern education. And uh, I was raised in a rural area, uh, spent a lot of time on my horse, <laughs> and actually got thrown off my horse in an accident that left me uh, unconscious and uh, awakened um, sort of a deep spiritual search uh, mm. inside me. And then I found myself as a teenager uh, through synchronicity coming to a wilderness school, wilderness awareness school in Washington. And it was just as the school was starting in uh, Western Washington. And it was like we were an experiment. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, kids that uh, were sort of outcasts from a uh, the modern education system and immerse them in the wilderness, immerse them in their senses, oh. immerse them in native ceremony, and um, see what happens. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and part of that was I, uh, every summer I would track wolves and I have a lot of years of trailing predators and tracking predators as the keystone species and really the indicator for uh, everything else in the, in the food web. And uh, when I tracked wolves in, in the middle of the wilderness, in the Frank Church Wilderness of No Return in Idaho, hmm. uh, which is the largest tract of wilderness in the lower 48, I witnessed firsthand uh, the trophic cascade which is when the predators, being the packs of wolves, uh, suppress or alter the behavior of the prey, which then affects the next trophic level. Mm -hmm. So uh, this has been studied extensively in Yellowstone with the reintroduction of wolves and uh, essentially results in healthier riparian areas, uh, higher concentration of songbirds, uh, beavers coming back and doing their incredible ecosystem services of um, uh, you know bringing in more species. And so this uh, tritrophic uh, cascade, which is essentially the relationship with predator, prey, and then plants, uh, is something that I uh, studied on very many different levels. So uh, I intuitively came to ranching uh, from studying uh, wildlife tracking and how nature functions and how with the removal of these large predators in this area it would be the extinction of the California grizzly bear, uh, for example, and also the uh, extinction um, of the large grazing herds uh, mm -hmm. that have evolved with these grasslands for thousands of years, uh, these systems start to uh, break down and fall apart. So what is our responsibility as humans to yeah. mimic nature and to bring some of that back not necessarily yeah. how it was but. right because we can't do that right that's Absolutely. pretty much impossible at this point and it's funny because some of the things that you had brought up brought a couple things to mind so for example when you were uh, talking about the experiment with you and the other children or the kids in the wood in the woods it totally brought up memories of a recent movie that i watched called captain fantastic where they're all out in the woods and they're kind of outcasts and they're finding a balance between civilization and the natural world and then uh also the the interesting point that you made about yellowstone and the wolves basically reintroducing a predator to the land and how my buddy Daniel Vitalis, if you're familiar with his work, he um, talks about, he has kind of this funny saying where he thinks that humans, you know, being the stewards of the land, but how we're abusing this land now, he feels that wouldn't it almost be hilarious to have some type of predator that hunted humans <laughs> to kind of have that same kind of diversity again with us, you know, and it's just kind of that, that idea kind of came to mind that, you know, humans almost need a predator to kind of thin out our herd almost so that we can continue the biodiversity of the planet. But anyways, that was just a, a funny side thought. But um, that's very interesting that you had done that work. I had never really thought about that before. Yeah, you know, and, and because I was uh, so immersed in the wilderness, it was uh, very difficult to, to reintegrate. Mm -hmm. um, so yes, watching that documentary definitely uh, struck some different different chords uh, inside me on you know based on my journey. And um, I actually have a book coming out in the fall. Uh, the name is Dawn Again: Tracking the Wisdom of the Wild, oh, and uh, it's being published by uh, Propriometrics Press, which is a publishing company that focuses on our. Uh, instinctual ancestral ways of living and moving our bodies and mm -hmm. uh, living a more balanced life. So um, I'm really excited about working with this company and uh, having them publish uh, this book. And it's 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 a memoir, and it's about this search. It's about uh, how I recognize that. Uh, 
modern um, education and sort of the drive towards a career and material things uh, wasn't something that it you know is in, intuitive to to me and to uh, fully express my humanness and and happiness and uh, so it's about that search and my immersion in the wilderness and all kinds of great adventurous tracking stories of being right up next to wolf packs. Oh, and, that sounds so exciting. Uh, yeah, and also uh, really challenging myself in survival situations where. I'm in the I'm in the snow in Washington with uh, only a you know the clothes on my back and and a pocket knife. Wow. And, uh, and also travels in Alaska and and Idaho and um, you know tracking throughout California, and then uh, finding uh, finding essentially a way to uh, be part of a solution that the, those experiences mm -hmm. in my youth that I was really allowed to go through these rites of passages and uh, not the superficial rites of passages like getting a driver's license or <laughs> going to a school dance or, mm -hmm. you know, graduating high school. They were rites of passages where I was led through vision quests by uh, a Lakota holy man who was raised outside of the missionary schools in a refugee camp. So that didn't learn the English language till he was in his 20s and so really was raised in a very traditional way that oh, there's wow. very very few people left on this earth that uh, have that sort of uh, uh, lineage. traditional ecological knowledge I'm sure yeah absolutely so uh, the story is really about that that quest and uh, you know that knowing that all of those experiences in my life, uh, you know, they each catalyzed into uh, solutions for humanity and the planet. And so towards the end of the book, I really speak towards what we're doing now with the regeneration of grasslands by uh, mimicking this, that uh, trophic cascade of predator, prey, and plants, right. uh, and at the same time, producing food for thousands of families that has so much nutrition that it can mm. be compa compared to wild foods. Yeah, so you're working twofold is what it sounds like. So not only are you helping, <clears throat> excuse me, not only are you helping to feed the masses by finding that kind of middle ground, right? Definitely. You're not going to be a hunter-gatherer right now using your primitive skills. You're still living in the modern world, but you're providing a service in a way that is also regenerative as well as providing a, a service that really does help people get their minds, um, I don't know, geared more towards the natural rhythms of the earth because the more they learn about your management practices the more they get involved i feel like because it's so different and it's um you know let's talk about that actually for a second let's back up what does what a traditional ranch look like uh, you know if somebody is just you know they're producing food off of their land what does that look like versus how your holistic land management and holistic plant grazing actually looks like can you contrast those two two pictures for us yeah, and I, I wouldn't call it traditional because um, my husband's family is uh, really traditional, very big on the oh, cowboy okay. tradition. Okay. And the cowboy tradition is beautiful. Um, so I would say let's compare it to the industrial agriculture okay. system. Okay, yeah, that's much better. And uh, and what we're working on because really what we're doing is we're, we're blending tradition with nutrition, with regeneration, mm -hmm. and uh, that's enable, enabling us to do what we do. I would not be able to fully express these solutions if I did not um, fall in love and marry a sixth-generation cattle rancher mm -hmm. who's very steeped in, in tradition and uh, whose father... Uh, was the first one to come to the um, the Bay Area, these coastal hills here, just right across the hill from Silicon Valley, mm -hmm. uh, 
he was the first rancher in the area to actually observe grasslands and manage his cattle uh, as if the plants uh, and the wildlife mattered. And uh, so, so his name uh, was Larry Markygard, and he came from a strong tradition of ranching in the in the Dakotas. Um, and and so, uh, I just want to you know point that out. That uh, please, yeah, you know, just because I'm unaware, and if I say something, you know, out of uh, you know ignorance, please correct me because this this is an opportunity not only for myself but also for the audience to learn. So. If there's a you know if there's a traditional difference, obviously I want to know and I want to be able to you know uh, voice that to everybody so that they get a clear understanding of what it is that you're doing over there. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know I just want to make sure to honor the the old time ranchers because they they're very tuned in to mm -hmm. the weather patterns and. Um, I learned so much from, um, the, the folks that have, uh, lived, lived longer than I have and have lived a life where they're really very connected to the land. Their livelihood is coming from the land. So, point. um, so, and, and so, so basically my, uh, my husband's, uh, father, uh, brought this style of ranching and he didn't have any terms for it, but essentially what he was doing was holistic management. Mm. And so it wasn't until, uh, later on when, uh, I brought the, the, the philosophy and the studies to my husband, Eric, um, that originated in, um, in Africa, in the, in the Savannah ecosystems in Africa, um, by a, a wildlife tracker, Alan Savory. And I like to say that that's what Alan Savory and I uh, have in common is we, we both have, uh, studied with indigenous wildlife trackers and we, uh, credit, uh, our work, um, to the indigenous peoples. Yeah. And to that time that we really spent tracking <laughs> because tracking, when you're tracking, you're working on so many different, uh, levels because mm -hmm. you're, you know, you may be following the fresh, uh, uh, footprints of, of, a, a lion and you're needing to pay attention to everything because you could be being hunted at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, and you're looking in the past, uh, at the weather patterns, where the animal came from, uh, you're, you're working in the present moment to be completely aware of the bird language and mm -hmm. the alarm systems that are in the forest. And you're also projecting into the future. Where is that animal going? Um, and, and how, uh, how am I going to get to, um, to that animal? What is that animal doing? Um, and, and so you're really living in the past, present and future when you're tracking and working on, uh, multiple levels of, uh, of awareness. Uh, yeah, it which sounds like you need awesome. to be fully immersed. Yeah. And when all those five senses are alive, then a sixth sense starts to emerge. Uh, and that's the, the intuition. So, mm. um, you know, I remember times of tracking where, I sort of lost track of, uh, you know, literally of what, you know, where I had been, but all of a sudden I was still on the trail hmm. and that when thought drifted away and it was just me and the trail and not there, what I didn't feel a separation. It sounds like nature. pure instinct. Yeah. Like it, you know, your consciousness yeah. not kind of faded away and allowed your, your pure animal instinct to kind of guide you. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, sort of looping that back to, uh, what, what we're doing in the original question of the difference of what we're doing based on industrial agriculture is that, uh, holistic management, uh, is, um, is essentially uh, working on the principles that nature functions in holes, that uh, there nothing happens in isolation. So when you apply that to um, a, a, a cattle ranch or a multi-species uh, ranch like we have, uh, we have uh, cattle, we have sheep, we have chickens, we have pigs, we have 
some dairy cows, we have some goats. Um, so we have these multi-species and they're all interacting and there's this constant interplay um, of, of these different uh, species. And not only the species that we raise for food, but also the wildlife species and the, the grassland species. Uh, California's coastal prairie where we ranch were um on the the that coastal range uh has the most uh diverse species of plants per square meter than any other grassland in north america oh i didn't so, even know that i was unaware of that that's amazing yeah so it's very key that we are working with uh, say these large conservation groups that yeah. are looking at these grasslands and saying, Hey, these grasslands evolved with grazers. They are on the decline, like all of our, um, you know, other, other non-human relations, <laughs> uh, meaning the, 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 the other species that, um, I call my relatives. Um, and so when we look at, um, at that, then ranching, we're, we're really right on the right on the razor's edge, because on one side of the the spectrum, there is uh, the ranchers that are feeding the industrial agriculture system, mm -hmm. and those animals may start out on grass. However, their goals are not necessarily holistic. So they may be looking at this purely from profit. Right. And so when you apply holistic management, you're looking at your holistic context, which brings in um, your, your quality of life and how you want your land to look. Um, how are you going to create the systems and behaviors to produce that that vision of your your quality of life and um, how and then how are you going to leave a legacy for the future generation? Yep. So you're thinking of your children and your grandchildren, and uh, what is your future resource base that you are are leaving for um, right. for the next um, for the next uh, people and the, and the planet. So we're really with holistic management, we're working on, um, you know, the classic um, people, planet and profit. Mm -hmm. So, so, and we don't interact with the industrial agriculture system at all on our ranch. So um, we don't, you know, a, a lot of ranchers, even if they uh, raise their animals on grass because cattle um, are typically raised for the first um, 8, 10, 15 months of their lives on grasslands. And then they're put into a feedlot to fatten. Um, so we have cut out the feedlot altogether. And uh, so you really can't compare industrial beef, for instance, with grass-fed beef, when you look at um, a lot of the scientific data out there about the carbon footprint of cattle, that's talking about industrial-raised cattle. Yeah, because I think I think most people, when they think of ranching and they think of uh, what we're talking about, for the most part, other than the the fact that we're talking about holistic land management, is that that something that might pop into their head is. Uh, documentary like cowspiracy or something do you know what i mean so yeah. i'm glad that we're yeah, making that very, distinction very misinformed and um really taking data that it, it it's the opposite of holistic mm -hmm. <laughs> so they're taking one piece of poor data and applying it um at a broad scale in isolation so, um, yeah, that movie has been debunked several times. And there's another documentary coming out in early 2018 called Kiss the Ground. And uh, that is based on very good data and, and uh, very good case studies. And that will hopefully get to the same audience and, uh, you know, okay. debunk the whole cowspiracy myth. Yeah, I just thought I would bring that up because I know that you would you'd have something passionate to say about it, as well as 
I will put the notes about that documentary, the other one, Kiss the Ground, into the show notes for people to um, check out, definitely, if they're interested in that. Yeah, absolutely. Because, um, you know, the the filmmakers in Cowspiracy should be turned into the ethics committee because um, not only us, but the other folks that they interviewed, you know, like from the Sierra Club and Amazon Watch, mm-hmm. like all of these really great, well-respected environmental organizations. They lied to all of us. They twisted all of our words. And they took one thing in isolation and made it into fact and just created their own really bad, bad data. (laughs) Extremely biased, essentially, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, extreme vegan propaganda. Right. Okay, and that's good for people to understand. And, you know, uh, real quick, you said something also that I want to bring to people's attention, too, is that you said in traditional... um, industrial-based agriculture, the beef will be grass-fed for the first portion of its life. And are they, can you kind of dispel for people if they're looking to purchase good, high-quality proteins for themselves, um, can you maybe dispel what grass-fed, pastured, free-range, what do all those terminologies mean exactly and what should we be looking for? Yeah, well, I I want to go back to the or, original definition. Grass-fed means grass-fed, means grass-fed 100% of their life. Okay. So uh, the, the cattle that are raised for the feedlot on grass, I would not call them grass-fed <laughs> because they're, um, they're, they're on grass and finished in a feedlot. So mm-hmm. um, I would like to push the definition of grass-fed to be all-inclusive and uh, – you know, because industrial ag has twisted the words and the government has gotten in and big business has gotten involved, mm-hmm. it's almost like we need to over-explain ourselves. Yes, we are grass-fed, we are grass-finished, the animals are never in a feedlot. Um, so, uh, you know, that's sort of like, you know, we we are, we're certified by the American Grass-Fed Association and that's the the label that folks will want to look up uh, because that has the strictest grass fed standards probably in the world, definitely in the country. And they are very true to the definition and they um, have some great research researchers, um, great folks on their, on their board um, that are really making sure the integrity of uh, grass fed is, is continuing. And then um, there's been a lot of, confusion in the marketplace as well about organic Mm. so Mm -hmm. um and i just want to put it out there i mean i i think that um you know organic is definitely um a step up from industrial but it's just sort of less bad right because if uh cattle are are labeled only organic and not with the additional grass-fed label from the american grass-fed association typically that means they are dairy or uh cold cows from um organic dairies so essentially um with an or in an organic dairy um if you have a sick animal uh, oftentimes it's difficult to treat it because you can't treat it with antibiotics so it's not worth it so you send a dairy an organic dairy would send that animal to uh to slaughter so um if you're buying strictly just organic beef that doesn't have grass-fed label you are potentially eating sick cold dairy cows oh no way i did not know that yeah yeah a lot of people don't understand that i mean i number one i don't buy organic regardless um just simply because uh, you're still i mean sure you're you're not getting any of the growth hormones or any of the antibiotics or whatever that's going on in that animal however um, it's still not grass fed. The the yeah, type or yeah, quality of meat or fats. Yeah. Being, yeah. Yeah. Can can you uh, maybe talk on that for for a quick second? What so what what is the difference between the fats or uh, the quality of proteins between an industrial agricultural animal um, and one that let's say is uh, off of your land? Yeah. So our our animals are never our 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 grass fed. Uh, cattle and sheep are never fed grains. Um, so they are nourished from what the range provides them. And that's, uh, 
a mixture of annual and perennial grasses, and uh, we work with nature to uh, produce the healthiest animals and, and the healthiest meat, and the flavor is, is superior. Um, we raise a heritage breed of cattle called the Belted Galloway, and uh, they're you know also called the Oreo cookie cows because they have that <laughs> um, cute white stripe around the middle. And uh, they're a breed that originated in Scotland, and uh, they uh, finish very well on on grass because uh, the the fat marbles uh, in in the meat because they have this really furry double hair coat. Mm. Um, and so you're, you're eating a product that uh, is not only good for your body um, because it, uh, it has a, you know, a, a, a huge difference in terms of vitamins and minerals and good fats compared to an animal that has been uh, fed an unnatural diet. I mean, you think right. about if you were to just stand around and eat potato chips all day <laughs> uh, versus go out and hunt and gather and move your body. Oh, and, yeah. uh, you know, how healthy you are what would, you eat. would you be? Yeah. 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 So, um, so essentially you know, we're looking at animals that uh, have a much um, uh, sort of nutrient density profile uh, similar to, to, to wild animals, but they have, uh, a, a much better, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily, necessarily say better, but a taste that people are more used to, um, than say venison or something like that. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, there's a problem too with the traditional or, um, I don't, I don't, maybe I shouldn't say traditional, but for, uh, industrial <laughs> agriculture, excuse me. Yeah. Um, you know, that basically there's a problem with over grazing, right? With their cattle and their sheep and their goats and things like that. And this is, this is kind of causing, um, somewhat of a problem, right? And this is, this is something that, something that your practice looks into, which is land desert, land desert. Oh my gosh. Desertification. Yeah. Land desertification. Yes. Thank you for helping me out with that one. I knew I was going to mess up on it. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about that and exactly what's happening right now? Yeah. So desertification is not necessarily only a uh, product of overgrazing. It's also a product of overresting. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I would say the more detrimental effects have been seen um, with uh, grasslands that uh, do not have the disturbance of hooves and herds. And uh, so, so essentially, uh, what's happening? Grasslands cover up to forty percent of the. Um, land surface in the world. And a lot of that um, has been turned into cropland. Um, uh, and so uh, essentially the, the grasses themselves are um, incredible uh, carbon captures. So mm. by capturing any energy from the sun through photosynthesis, uh, those grasses uh, sequester carbon in their in their roots. Um, however, they require some sort of disturbance to stay thriving and abundant. So yeah, when there's a that natural cycle, right? I, and yeah, this is just me going through, um, you know, doing my brief research. But it, it's something like birth, growth, death, and decay, right? Yes, correct. So um, when you don't have that disturbance, and, and it really depends on climate. So uh, it's very different where I grew up in Western Washington than mm -hmm. it is here in a Mediterranean climate in California. When I came to California and I lived on a, a small uh, research station, uh, 30 acres, and uh, it was surrounded by cattle ranch. And so the little bit of grassland that uh, we had on the, the field station side had not seen um, disturbance in the form of a large herd of, of cattle or elk or anything else in uh, over 15 years. And then the other side of the fence um, was managed uh, hmm. by my 
my husband's family. Mm-hmm. And um, essentially what what was going on is that the grasses on the non-grazing side had had that last cycle robbed from them, the decay cycle. Mm-hmm. So you essentially had this dead standing uh, dry matter that was just oxidizing uh, instead of uh, being trampled and fertilized by manure and incorporated into the soil to then build soil organic matter um, to hold water. And then when you parted that dry, uh, dead standing grass, Mm -hmm. what you saw underneath was a lot of bare ground because without disturbance, these grasslands start to uh, die off. Yeah. And you get these large patches of bare ground and uh, really soils that are are lacking in that really good, rich uh, carbon uh, content in the soil. Yeah, that's extremely important for people to understand, too. And one of the problems also with um, not with that, but with lacking the animals is that, you know, we've overhunted or there aren't these large swaths of animals anymore. And that's something also that I know people are taking into consideration these days as they're trying to reclaim the Great Plains of America as well, too, trying to restore the grasslands of America and reintroduce buffalo and things like that to try and help that process along. Is there anything else that you think we can do on the consumer side? Is there anything that we can do personally that we can get involved with? Aside from obviously, uh, you know, purchasing land and, and maybe um, wanting to learn more about holistic land management for ourselves, but is there something we can do on the consumer side? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, just sort of looking back at my own journey that I outline in this book that's uh, going to be coming out, uh, I and you know, walking that fine line of you know, yes, we're not going to go back to hunter gatherers. Mm-hmm. Um, however. Uh, we would like to maintain some of that philosophy. Um, and, I, you know, I would say that my experience um, uh, practicing survival skills and challenging myself in survival situations um, was was so invaluable. I mean, it was um, uh, just really synthesized, um, what the state of the earth is because I was, um, you know, pushed up against very fragmented resources that had been slashed and burned and poisoned and exterminated and saw that, you know, wow, this is, such a challenge (laughs) it would be you know it's such a challenge now to just walk out in the wilderness and survive it's possible but you're going to be living a very uh difficult difficult life yeah that's something we're always talking about about is that you can never go and do it alone it's always this it's a community it's a, a tribe aspect nobody just you know some people just like you said can do it it takes a very special person to want to do it yeah, but but that experience really, uh, and, and it's not very true to what the hunter gatherers, especially in the Bay Area, experienced. Right, they experienced abundance where you know they could reach their hand into a a, a salmon stream and throw a salmon up on the bank. They could go to the bay and collect mounds and mounds of shellfish. They could harvest cattails and eat them. You know, it was it was simple. Yeah. <laughs> it was abundant, and so so really um, going out and 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 trying to replicate that that now is 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 not possible. Right. So how can we then be stewards of the land and uh, recreate that abundance? So I think folks really need to educate themselves on um, the philosophy of indigenous peoples. And I think that uh, right now, you know, what we've saw in this last year with, uh, with Standing Rock and the, um, you know, what happened there, we were big. Big supporters of that, and um, 
there's no excuses anymore to um, to not just get up in the morning and and take action for the good of the planet and humanity. So um, essentially, lear- you know, learning some of what it means to be to be human in that very indigenous sense, and uh, um, partially, which you know, looking into how um, indigenous people treated all life as their kin. Um, and they didn't look at resources to be used and profited on. They looked at um, the species as their their relatives. Right. And um, so really coming from that that place and then um, looking at your entire life, you know, what you vote three times a day with your fork is what Michael Pollan says. <laughs> and. Um, you look at where your food is coming from. Is it a regenerating resources? Is it coming from a regenerative ranch that sequesters carbon and uh, provides jobs for for the community and um, provides um, capturing uh, storage for for water and um, you know provides clean, healthy, um, abundant food. Uh, or are you are you eating um, from a source that is um, degenerating? Yeah, uh, like Jack so, in the Box or, <laughs> you know, yeah, Taco absolutely. Bell or any number of these other places that we could name. Yeah, and, and, and consumers in the Bay Area have that privilege of being able to go to a farmer's market and source 100% of their food Very from within their food shed. Um, and and really know face to face the farmer and come out and visit the ranches and visit the farms. And uh, that's, and incorporate that into your recreation and your quality of life. We have families that uh, they get 100% of their protein from us. A lot, a lot of families do. We have a very active um, CSA where, um, you know, we we definitely treat our regular uh, customers very, very well. And they're like part of our family. They're right. part of our extended family. Which, by the way, something I want to get involved with just you know, to touch on that for after the show. But um, yeah, yeah, the CSAs, that's a great way of getting involved as well, too. Also, when you were talking about learning more about the native people or the people of your land or your bio region, to us is the uh, Costalonians, I believe, um, or the uh, Olone people. Is that correct? Yeah, Olones. Olone people, excuse me. Yeah, the Kosmiwak. There's there's a, there's a number. There was a number of different tribes um, in in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. Um, I think upwards to a hundred languages spoken wow. because people gathered here from from all over the country because it because was so abundant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So um, a great so book yes. for people. Real quick, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, yeah, but a great okay. book also uh, for people who are interested. If you're in If you're in California, or even if you're not in California, a great book that I like to recommend to people that's actually right here on my coffee table, it's called Tending the Wild by M. Cat Anderson. It's a Native Native American knowledge in the management of California's natural resources. It is a tome. However, it is uh, definitely my top five recommended books, but just a way for you guys to familiarize yourself with the the natural practices of the native peoples of your land, especially here in California. But it's an, it's a great book one I would recommend to most people. You know, I found something interesting though. When I moved here, one of the first things I did was go to my farmer's market and I wanted to build that strong relationship, that strong connection with the people I was buying my food with and even offering or volunteering my help if I could, my services. And I found that it was difficult to do that. I found it was difficult to find people where I could actually... Um, you know, not only go check out their thing, but if that, you know, if I could, I wanted to learn a little bit more and get my hands dirty because for me, it's not enough to just learn. I've got to do, and I want to really get in there and help if I can, because obviously I don't own a farm or a ranch or anything like that. So if I can help the people that are supplying my food, uh, why not? And asking around, I found it was really difficult to kind of volunteer for people. Is there a reason behind that? Uh, yes, <laughs> it's called uh, California labor laws. Oh, well. <laughs> well, yeah, um, it's not legal in California for you to volunteer for uh, a for-profit farm. So, um, oh well, then that would make perfect sense. Well, 
<laughs> Even though we don't make much money. <laughs> um, yeah, there's, it, it, it's hard. And the thing is, is, is it's because people abuse it. And uh, oh, because really? this, this state is uh, so big on labor justice. Mm -hmm. um, of course. It, yeah, it's very difficult to come out and volunteer on a farm. <laughs> because I don't, you know, because living in an urban area, I don't know of any other way to get my hands dirty in that kind of way. Like, how do I get firsthand experience? Um, yeah. Because I want to be as sovereign of a person with my food um, as as I possibly can be. If I can source it 100% off the land, I want to. However, I'm in that transition phase. So how do I, I don't know, how do I begin that process? You know, coming from an urbanized area, I can't just um, set up a chicken coop on my patio or anything like that. I really, you know, it's, it's difficult for me to bridge that gap or kind of break through that barrier. Is there any um, tips or advice you could give somebody? like myself or anybody interested in trying to get, uh, I guess you would just have to have a friend or something like that. I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, we do ranch days. So, okay. uh, people then get a tour and get to see the ranch and experience it. Um, the, we, we work with some large nonprofit land trusts. One of them is called Peninsula Open Space Trust. So, um, because they're a nonprofit, they can organize like a community work day on, oh. um, one of the, uh, you know, one of the ranches that we lease from them. Um, so, you know, just, I would say just get in touch. There's tons of organizations, uh, you know, here especially, and they're starting to spread out throughout the country, uh, that are advocating for regenerative and sustainable agriculture. Okay. So I would say get involved with uh, one of those organizations. Um, okay. You and I will definitely have to talk after the episode yeah. to see if you can't help me out find find a good place where I can go yeah, meet absolutely. and visit and try and get my hands dirty because that's something I'm really interested in. Nice. Well, okay. Well, we're, we are coming up towards the end of our conversation. I just want to leave this space for you and to see if there's um, any last parting piece of advice if you know and it doesn't have to relate to land management it doesn't have to relate to ancestral health if there was just kind of this uh you know a good overall piece of advice you might want to give to people to enrich their lives donaga what what, what might that be yeah um well, there's a lot. <laughs> I know it's hard to break down uh, but it, you know yeah. give it your best it's shot. <laughs> Yeah, it's um, it's a tough, really, really tough time that we're living in. And, um, you know, it's like we can sort of have this sanctuary within our ranch gates. But outside the ranch gate, there is a lot of hatred and um, a lot of profit driven greed Absolutely. And um, it's it's so sad. And it's, you know, we'll just put somebody in depression if you don't have something else in your life that is very meaningful. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I would say for each person listening to this, what what is that? What is that meaningful that that you as an individual are contributing so that you don't spiral into this depression of the state of our world and the wars and the hatred and the greed and what is your your bright light oh. <laughs> that keeps you going because for for us i just it's difficult being a parent. It's so difficult being a parent right now because I just don't know what the state of the earth is mm -hmm. going to be for my children and for my grandchildren. And these times are so uncertain. And I just pray every day that uh, we can learn from these ancestral ways and learn to treat all life as our kin and to honor honor the earth and and honor each other and look beyond the you know day-to-day -day survival and 
material things into into the future and everyone has a piece in that you don't need to be a rancher you don't need to um you know steward large tracts of land like we do everyone has something inside of them that they were put on this earth to do and so i would say everyone should go out and fulfill what it really really means to be human and fully express themselves without any without any regrets and uh just do that do that for your children yeah please and you know i i want to um just take a moment to um show a little bit of gratitude towards you and your family for what they're doing over at the Marky Guard Ranch and you know how you're approaching this and how it's a multi-generational approach that you're taking to this because that really speaks a lot to me and I think to the people that listen to this podcast because again we understand that we're not going back we're not romanticizing you know the caveman Um, we're trying to create a new culture for ourselves and there needs to be this space or this area for us to grow and to teach our children to be stewards of the land, to be more cognizant of uh, not only humans, but non-humans alike. So I just want to thank you for your contribution to that and that you do take such a holistic approach to your work and your passion, and that I do hope to someday really get a chance to visit you on your farm and try some of the delicious uh, food that's that's coming out of there. So thank you, Donaga. And, you know, I think this is going to going to wrap up today's episode i'm i'm james the hairless ape broderick along with donaga marky guard of the marky guard family ranch signing out from ancestral health radio until next time remember guys take a walk on the wild side thanks for tuning into this episode of ancestral health radio if you like the podcast then do me a quick favor and head over to itunes to leave an honest rating or review of the show this helps improve the show's ranking and visibility with other would-be hunter-gatherer gardeners just like yourself. But if you can't do that, I'll totally understand. We're still cool. But maybe you could share this episode on your favorite social media network, or at the very least, continue the conversation with myself and the tribe on the official Ancestral Health Radio Facebook page. But whatever you do, remember to check out all the resources mentioned earlier in this episode by reading the show notes at AncestralHealthRadio.com. Thank you.